It's the Say Anything Podcast. What's up, everybody? The show's available as part of SNY.TV's Mets podcast feed. Search for SNY Mets in the iPhone podcast app or whatever app you choose to listen to your podcast. Definitely subscribe to the feed if you haven't already. Rate us, drop us a review. Doug Williams and Andy Martino here on the couch just sitting around. Just two guys chilling on a couch in a studio. Uh, Jason, who produces our podcast, knows this, but I want physical mics. We got a, I got a complaint. Because it's a podcast? Because it's a podcast about the audio, but I think the audio is fine. I listen to the podcast unlike you. Never heard it. You don't like listening to your own work. Have you heard my voice? Would you want to listen to it either? I routinely do because I rewatch the shows that we're on, but anyway. I need to do that. Potential too, so. in works to actually have those radio-style microphones. That, that would can, be cool. That can move for no reason. Who knows? Um, I'm saying it to put a little pressure on the people and the power, the powers that be that might have to... I think if we had those kind of mics, it would be fun to do it at desk, too, like the like ESPN morning radio That's what I mean, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to create... Lean back in a chair. Okay. Um, Andy, are the, Met, are, the Mets, are the Mets good or do they stink? The Mets I mean, are... like, I, I'm asking that, obviously, kind of facetiously, but... The reaction from the fans after two losses, and again, who knows when you'll listen to this, but two losses against the Nationals the first two games of the series was a little surprising to me just considering the fact that uh, the record's still so good, um, the, the fluke losses happen, bad losses happen, and it's so early in the season that you never know what the rest of the season's going to bring. Mets fans really have got, have been irate, especially on Twitter over the last couple of days? Well, two things. Number one, I understand where they're coming from because uh, in particular that first of the two losses to Washington was a really tough game that came in a bad time. So I get the emotional impact of that, but I think that the Mets are good. I think they're a good team. And me saying that, I'd like to think that carries some weight because like all the years that I was the beat writer were generally when they were awful, 2011, 12, 10, all those kinds of years, and they would usually start out hot and all the fans would get all excited, and I'd be writing columns or tweets or whatever like, no, trust me, they're going to stink soon enough. And I was always right. The team always stunk <laughs> at the end of the year. I don't mean to, uh, to gloat on that, but like point being that you can see the underlying signs like a team like the Pittsburgh Pirates right now or the Philadelphia Phillies that are hot early on, but it's not going to last. Right. I think the Mets are a good team built to contend all season. And I think that because their veteran offense, which was the key to this team, is performing generally above, especially Todd Frazier, but other guys too, performing above what a lot of people thought they might. And they've been winning so many games without the rotation at full strength. Bullpen's been a happy surprise, although that can go up and down through a season. Uh, generally, though, it's been good. So I think the Mets are a good team. I really do. I think they're the second-best team in their division, and they will be in the playoff conversation all year. And I think there's a reason that you mentioned, what, the Pirates and the Phillies, that if the Pirates or the Phillies had a terrible loss, their fans wouldn't react the way Mets fans did because I think Mets fans like you have made the realization this is a talented team. This is a good team. I don't like how you said Mets fans like you. Can you say Mets fans like a reporter such as yourself? What? You said Mets fans like you. No, it was Mets fans dash like you, right. not Mets fans comma like you. I'm not putting you in that category. I appreciate I, We needed to get the punctuation I, right on that. Thing. I just almost busted out laughing. No joke. This mm -hmm. is this. I did not start the show knowing this. Looked, I looked at your phone while you were talking. <laughs> I think on the podcast, or no, it was on Baseball Night New York. Yeah. I brought this up. Andy threw his phone in frustration. I did. It was a, it was a Jersey Transit-related anger tantrum, and it shattered. And he has scotch-taped yeah. it, it together. Well, it keeps the glass this looks from, like— terrible. I don't know if—I I doubt anyone can—but it really doesn't look good. 
something was, has to give. I have to get it fixed, obviously. You, Scott, I've never seen scotch tape on a, on a phone screen before. Well, it gets the job done for now. Okay, interesting. Mets are good. Um, okay, so really the, the interesting idea, if you want to look at the Nats series, the things that went right the first two weeks of the season kind of have gone wrong. So the bullpen, I think, is the biggest thing to talk about right now. And, and they've left runners on base. That's one of those conversation topics where you it's fun to ask former players, you know, what does that mean? But I'm not sure right. if you and I can speak to why anybody would not hit well with runners on base. I don't think anyone players. can speak to that. Not a manager, not a hitting coach, right. not it's a just player. something that happens. Comes and goes. Right. But the bullpen thing, Andy, is interesting because even when things were going great a week ago, 10 days ago, we were, and, and Sal and Moose and Anthony McCarron, everybody we've been on shows with, has said, Good. You know, the Mets are winning. That's a good thing. But Mickey Callaway's getting five or six innings out of the starting mm -hmm. pitchers, and all these guys are building up their appearances in the bullpen. Is that starting to show itself? Well, the Mets would say no. In fact, I was at City Field uh, for yesterday as we sit here, but depending on when you listen, I was at City Field for Tuesday's game. In the afternoon, Mickey Callaway went out of his way to point out that the Mets are 12th, were prior to that game, 12th in bullpen usage in the league. So the Mets, if, if that suggestion How is made... How very self-aware of the Mets manager. I, right. I consider the <laughs> Mets to be uh, a little possibly aware of this uh, complaint, and they want us to know that, that it's a league-wide trend. And there's a fair point, the numbers don't lie, that plenty of teams are pulling starters earlier. It's a function of analytics, and it's a function of cold weather, April, not totally stretched out yet. So a couple things coming together. So there's been a lot of bullpen usage in baseball. Therefore, I think you're going to get a lot of tired relievers in baseball. And, and, you know, Callaway is a former pitching coach and former pitcher himself is trying to be really conscious of not just how many innings they throw, how many days they throw, but what's the situation? How many pitches? What kind of pressure? What kind of leverage? So he tries to take all these things into account and not tire his guys out. But, of course, there's going to be ebbs and flows. And, you know, if anybody thought that Robert Kesselman was going to be the right-handed Andrew Miller or Seth Lugo, you know, it's just things do regress to their mean and right. find their level at they a certain point. They may still be good pitchers. I still think there's tough plays in the bullpen. Right. I think it'll be all right. But these things come and go, and teams – Good teams remake their bullpen all through the year, whether they're using a 10-day DL, which is a relatively new creation to shuttle guys up and down from AAA, or whether they're making trades or whether they're using the waiver trades in August, as Sandy Alderson often does. Addison Reed, a key reliever in the World Series year, came in an August waiver trade. So a bullpen is just tweak, tweak, tweak all year long. We have a ton of Twitter questions to get to because there's a lot of good storylines to talk about with the Mets right now. And speaking of Twitter, before we get to those, uh, this week on Keith's Twitter hmm. account is very good this week. Um, Always good. I think this is from yesterday, could be from the day before, and it's combining kind of two tweets. It was a, a thread. Good morning, everybody. I just woke up making coffee and having my gluten-free, unpasteurized, unhomogenized yogurt with berries and... Is that mesquite honey? Mesquite honey, yeah. Mesquite honey. Off to the gym after a shower. Lost 10 pounds since I've been home. 10 more to drop. And this is this next line. 10 pounds two weeks? I don't know if that's healthy. Yeah, 20 pounds is what I guess he's trying to lose. This next line is kind of Twitter in a nutshell. Uh-huh. I don't know if any of you give a hoot about this, but I'm just throwing it out there. That should be in everyone's Twitter bio. That's, that's, that's it's what like, who knows is. if anyone actually cares, but right. this is what Twitter's for, so I'm going to write something in a box and, and press it. And I'm sure there was a good baseball insight, seriously, that came soon after that. Keith has been yes, a master exactly. of the lifestyle versus insight thing. You bringing up his Twitter reminds me, too, he had a good tweet that wasn't a joke. Uh, over the weekend, I believe, 
The former Sports Illustrated writer William Knack died, who wrote an incredible profile of yeah. Keith in 1986. I highly recommend you guys go find that. One of the best stories I've ever written, uh, read about a baseball player. Uh, Bill Knack uh, is not a huge name because he came before the era of Twitter and self-promotion. The greatest long-form sports writer in the history of sports writing. William Knack, who died, who wrote an incredible piece about Keith. So go look for that. Yeah, and, and, and Keith's Twitter, back to that also. I mean, sometimes we're going to bring up joking ones like that one because that's what makes uh, Keith's Twitter great, is this combination of really good insight into the game, his thoughts on the Mets, while also talking about his life with Haji, and it's just, it's all great, I think. So I agree. Um, back to some of your Twitter questions out there. We got one from The Big Cool on Twitter. Do you think the Batista call-up, uh, Gerson Batista got called up throwing 97, pitched in his first game in the ninth inning, um, is a short-term try to jack up his value, flip him along with Dom Smith for JT Real Muto? Okay. This brings up really the, the catching yeah. discussion, Andy. And the next Twitter question, along with that, from Andrew Strauss, which says, what would the Mets have to give up for Real Muto? So do you think that front offices, first of all, in calling up someone like Bautista, are mm -hmm. thinking about it as an audition? That's A. And B, do they have interest in Real Muto or another catcher on the market? Uh, okay, yeah, picking that apart, uh, the first part of that question, do you think the call-up is a short-term uh, uh, play to jack up Bautista's value? It's an interesting question. No, I don't. I think that the uh, – but it's, it's not a crazy thought. Yeah. It could be an ancillary benefit of, of calling him up and having him pitch in front of a different set of scouts. But every organization's got their scouts in AAA, too. I know scouts right now right. that are in Vegas. Yeah, so, But, no, it's a bigger showcase uh, when you call a guy up. It was because they needed a fresh arm. That's that's why they called him up. But but that could might not be totally unrelated. I do think they would like to acquire a catcher uh, if they can. Real Muto, see, that the second part of the question, Batista and Dom Smith, does that get it done? I don't know. I think that conversation starts with Ahmed Rosario, probably. Seriously? JT Real Muto's a great. I know he's he's very good. So, but we're talking about an everyday shortstop that's coming off being the number one prospect in baseball that the Mets clearly think very highly of. I don't think that that conversation even starts. Probably not. I don't think it's a fit trade wise. Yeah. Uh, for those reasons, I don't think the Mets are deep enough in prospects. I I, I think even more than that, they've been reluctant to give up uh, Nimmo Smith, certainly Rosario, Sandy Alderson wouldn't trade. He had six pitching prospects for four years. He wouldn't trade any of them. I mean, he simply doesn't really do this. Other than Michael Fulmer, who he traded for Cespedes in a moment, like 10 minutes before a trade deadline. And he was also he had to get sitting on what done. he thought was tremendous pitching depth. Yeah, and he tried to trade Wheeler the day before that. And so he, it's not, like, unprecedented. Yeah. But if, if I'm the Marlins, I want a huge haul for that guy. And there's going to be other – for a premier young catcher, there's going to be other teams in the mix – uh, it's going to take more than your Dom Smith or, or you know, whatever yeah, else you want to put around that. There's other catchers on the market, I think, that the Mets may be more realistically tied to. I mean, Jonathan Lucroy is coming off being a free agent, but he could potentially be available. Yeah. I'm just not – look, they, they have – Blake Swihart in Boston is a yeah. guy. If you could trade Zach Wheeler for Blake Swihart, I would do that. Uh, you, you know, now that Wheeler's got some value again. Uh, I, but they, Swihart, is he with the Red Sox or is he in AAA? He's been up and down. Thanks for putting me on this. Spot. Well, I'm, I'm just uh, Swihart is. He's their, a guy without. Christian Vasquez is their starting catcher, and I think Sandy Leone. That's their what backup. I'm saying. So he's 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 Swihart's an example of a guy with some upside who doesn't have a place in his current roster. Right. More than your Lucroy's, your Real Mutos. That's where I would. Yeah, look. I just don't think right now Sandy Alderson, after Zach Wheeler's two starts, would would want to trade Zach Wheeler for a Triple A catcher. 
Uh, well, he's not a triple-A catcher. He's a he's just in a – he's backfilled. Tri- yeah, I, I think there's so – Sandy wanted to trade Wheeler once, but there were plenty of opportunities to trade Wheeler through the years, and they didn't capitalize on it. And I know there's people in that front office, uh, not the GM, who – I don't know how he feels about this particular thing, but – who say we really should have traded Wheeler when we had the chance. So now you might have right. a chance again. That's what I'm saying. Jay, you said Swihart's up in the big leagues with the Sox? Yeah, so, I mean, it's an interesting Just, question. That, that's we'll a see. type that I would look at. They didn't like Lucroy in the offseason, so I don't see why they would like him now. But then again, they had two healthy catchers then. Um, the next kind of topic we wanted to get to on Twitter, Mike Gross says, what can we expect long-term from Agon? Mm-hmm. His defense speaks for itself, but the offense has been streaky at best. Should we expect more of the same offensively, keep him around for his superior defense? Or is there more to come? And then at Andrew Music 21 said, how long is Aegon's leash? Okay. This is something we've talked a lot about with Aegon. Talked about the minimum and all that. You were, uh, we were talking about his numbers right before we came on. What do you think? Uh, what can we expect long-term from him? Uh, well, as a veteran guy, it's a short-term proposition to begin with. Right. I mean, we're all long, we're all going to grow old and die. That's what would expect long-term. Every 10 <laughs> shows or so, you get <laughs> yeah, that from Andy Martino. It's the ultimate Just truth. Just a reminder <laughs> brings you back. It's the ultimate truth. However, I don't think that's what Mike Gross is getting at with this question. So I'll pivot to, uh, look, the idea with Adrian Gonzalez since spring training and continuing has been that fans don't generally want him here. The Mets front office is totally content to let him chill for a while, see what he can do, let the experiment play out. So, uh, obviously, you're right. The defense is great. That, he, he brings that to the table. He's still so sure-handed and sure-footed for a guy his age, and that is, has value. Offensively, you know, the, more, the longer he's hitting 220, the more it seems real. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 he's not totally shot, I don't think, but... Uh, he hasn't shown yet. He's got one home run as of this taping. He's hitting 222 as of this taping. I don't believe that he's shown uh, the, the upside hopes that he's the Adrian Gonzalez of old. Uh, it was always going to be into May that the Mets were even going to think about making a move there. And with Smith hurt, uh, with guys who are on the free agent market like Adam Lind not getting reps uh, recently, I think the, the deeper you go in with this experiment, unless he's really bad, the more you probably let it play out. What can I say? It's not the bottom hasn't fallen out yet. It's not no. like that. Yeah, I, I agree with your point that the upside ceiling aspect of this kind of feels gone. So like the the Adrian Gonzalez of uh, three or four years that. ago feels I, I I don't know when you may, when you take a flyer on guys like him, veterans who in the past have been all star caliber players, you wonder in the first. 30 games of the season if they're going to look like that guy. Like, remember when the Yankees went out and got Vernon Wells? Yeah. In the first half, he was great. I think that was 2013. Yeah, yeah, and he faded. And then he faded. That can also happen, too. So, interesting thing to keep an eye on. I actually think that if there's anybody that's going to play a a force that Mets hand in terms of Adrian Gonzalez and his playing time at first base, it's going to be Brandon Nimmo. Because if he continues to play the way he is, they're going to have to play him. And Mm -hmm. Juan Lagares is playing well, too. So... What do you do? I mean, that means Jay Bruce really has to play first base if you've yeah. got six or, or five really good outfielders. Yes, good point. A couple of things on that. Knowing the way the Mets generally operate, unless Gonzalez is significantly worse than he than he is right now, it'll be a soft kind of uh, exit, and, and it'll take a lot of time. Be gra- it would be a gradual loss of playing time. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't do that knee-jerk DFA that some fans tend to want when a player isn't playing well. Uh, but it would just be you'd see a little more of Flores at first. You'd see, start to see Bruce in the mix at first. And then it would just sort of organically work that way. The other thing is 
that this is a completely different conversation for the Mets and for many teams, whether the team is winning or losing. No one's looking that hard for a scapegoat for anything at the moment because the team has a good record. When they're losing, there does develop a mentality inside that building at City Field like, all right, what are we going to do? Got to do something. <clears throat> and so oftentimes a player's status becomes more shaky if the team's losing. All right, uh, let's dig deeper into it. Two more topics, and I, I, I have on this piece of paper, plug Andy's piece on Mets blog. You are SNY's freshly, newly minted That's right. MLB insider. You have a piece on Mets blog. It's about the starting pitching situation. Am I correct? It, you are correct. Uh, I wanted to get out ahead of this idea that and in, some have already talked about it, and I wanted to make sure I knew what I was talking about, so I did some reporting on the rotation. It's like if Zach Wheeler continues to be good, uh, what happens, and is Matt Harvey going to be a victim of, of that situation? And, you know, the answer I got back, so let me back up for a second. So Jason Vargas threw a sim, uh, an inter-squad, sort of simulated slash inter-squad game in Port St. Lucie on Tuesday uh, behind a screen. On Sunday, he's likely to throw in a real minor league game, and if everything goes well, he's ready to take his turn in the rotation five days after that. So you have Zach Wheeler now having given up two runs in 14 innings, I believe, or 13 well, innings. No, so you gave up three earned runs. No, total, on, I mean. Right, but he gave up three earned runs in his second start and one in Miami. Right, so he's had two quality starts, right, yeah. both of which have shown signs of some sustainability, specifically yes. the shortened-up delivery, which Mickey Calloway said before Tuesday's game, Wheeler didn't really have to work on much between starts because he had it down. He was repeating it. He had it down. No longer a work in progress. They're happy with where he was at. Then I checked in with a non-Mets evaluator who was at the game who said, yeah, he was, he was on point with that delivery uh, also in his second start. He, was, he had no command of his slider in his second start. He had sometimes poor pitch selection. He was getting beat with his third and fourth best pitch, the changeup and the curveball. So there it wasn't perfect by any means. But point being, six innings, three runs, uh, in his second start, two quality starts. Matt Harvey is a five-inning pitcher right now, not quite getting those same results. So what do you do? Uh, there may be a natural solution of injury or underperformance in the time that they have before Vargas comes back, but it's getting closer. And it is fair to say, fair to report, that they're scrutinizing Harvey and Wheeler really closely right now, evaluating those two guys in the rotation. What I'm not hearing is, Oh, don't be ridiculous. Matt Harvey's in this rotation by hook or by crook. What I'm hearing is those two guys are being evaluated right now. So what happens? Are we talking Harvey bullpen? I mean, where We're talking he... Scott Boris loses his mind because his client is going to be a free agent. To, to, so this is there's a lot going on here. I think Wheeler to the bullpen uh, makes more sense from a standpoint of keeping the peace because Wheeler's – I'm not saying Har – Harvey is not on record saying – He's not willing to do anything. I'm just talking about uh, he's looking at his walk here, so a demotion would be really big poorly deal. timed. It would be a big deal, and he, I would imagine, be understandably upset if that were to happen, bullpen, AAA, whatever, however they settled the roster situation. But if Matt Harvey basically turns into Zach Wheeler uh, in terms of like being more of a bubble guy, uh, yeah, that's, it's, that would be a dramatic thing. Uh, don't look, look, Stephen Matz. Look at him, too. Yeah, uh, that's true. Anyone could anyone could turn in a bad start or two and be on the bubble. Obviously, DeGrom and Syndergaard will not be on any bubble, and Jason Vargas will not be on any bubble because he was signed here to give them innings. So, really, really, Wheeler and Harvey, and to some extent, Matt's are, are your guys to watch. They're not going to go to a six-man rotation, I don't believe. So, someone 
barring injury, will have to be the odd man out. And we're recording this podcast on Wednesday, Wednesday night. Andy's on Baseball Night in New York, and I'm stealing a little bit of a, uh, an idea from our producer, Dave Mandel, who basically said to me a little bit earlier, said part of this conversation, I think, is the coming out of spring training, Hansel Robles and Zach Wheeler starting in AAA. The idea that the best players are going to start on this team. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's interesting to imagine the Mets valuing that in this decision. If Matt Harvey continues to be five innings, four in runs every time out, Mickey Callaway in Port St. Lucie would have demoted that guy, you'd think. Well, it's interesting because they could say best players make the team and best players play every night. Uh, and that's generally a guideline. But there, truly, though, there are other things to take into consideration. How do players react emotionally? Yeah. Uh, it matters because if you lose a guy mentally and emotionally, then that's something to take into. They'd be dumb not to take that into account. Take into account different roles. Who would fit better in this role? They wanted Wheeler stretched out for just this type of situation. That's why they sent him to Vegas, right? They wanted to <laughs> be able to plug him into the rotation as they did and as it worked out. So then they would have to start to look at maybe he's a guy who they say, it's great that he's back. That's great that his stuff is, is good again, that his delivery's cleaned up. We see him as a real high-ceiling high, uh, bullpen asset. And maybe they do that even if he looks good in the road. They have to look not just at the who's best, but the whole who, who fits in what roles yeah, and what are the situations. Grand scheme of things. Yeah. Okay, uh, next topic I want to get to, Jose Reyes. Now, mm -hmm. we're coming off a game on Tuesday. He's not one of the best players. No, where he – that's true. That, that mm -hmm. exact argument can go into this conversation. If, if your best players are supposed to be playing and supposed to be on your roster – then why is Jose Reyes there? Because he's 0 for 17 to start the season as we're taping right now. But we're coming off that game Tuesday night where Mickey Callaway decides to use Jose Reyes in a, in a position against Sammy Solis, the left-handed pitcher. Reyes is your only right-handed hitting option realistically. And his swing that's on the strikeout was look disastrous. Good. Did not look good. Let's put now, it this way. I listened to that on the radio just where I was at standing at that moment. I was listening on the radio. And I could even tell it was ugly from the audio. Yeah, it was not good. <laughs> So, Anthony on Twitter asks, is it realistic to bring up Ty Kelly, bring down Jose Reyes? I don't think Ty Kelly would be the first one. I think Philip Evans would come up if Jose Reyes were to get DFA. But, uh, Andy, is Jose Reyes at risk of being DFA'd if he continues to play like he has? I think that comes down to the same point about how's the team doing, first of all. Unless he doesn't get a hit for a while longer. Right. I mean, I mean I they're know. not going to just carry him forever. <clears throat> Jose Reyes came back here. His goal was to finish his career with the Mets. He's going to – looks like he's going to get what he wants. Right. The question is, when is that going to happen? Uh, he was a very productive player very recently, meaning the second half of last year. He was doing really funny things like stealing third base in a blowout just, like, for fun and to pad his numbers and everything. He's very entertaining when he's good and productive when he's good and it wasn't like that was two years ago so they'll give it some time but they're not going to carry dead weight whether he's got a history with the franchise or not they've already done him a solid of reviving his career you look at all the decent major league veterans out of work right now if the Mets hadn't brought Reyes back particularly in light of his declining skills in the domestic violence suspension Jose Reyes is out of the league a while ago yeah so look it's gravy it's cool that he got to come back I guess uh but not tomorrow, but it's not going to be a season-long thing. This is the type of expertise that I can bring to this. I, I, I think of this as a fantasy baseball team owner. Um, when you have a guy on right. your team and you think about it, if I released him, mm -hmm. would somebody pick him up off the waiver wire? This is and a no. With, yeah. with Jose Reyes, yeah. if you're Sandy Alderson, you're thinking no. I yeah. mean, unless 
it doesn't really exist. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but having a pinch runner on your team doesn't really exist anymore. It's almost like right. the Homer Bushes of the world. That's true. Um, don't, you don't fill a roster spot just with somebody who can pinch run late because that only happens once every two or three games. So I don't know. Jose Ray, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch. The next thing uh, oh. on our rundown I'm a little <clears throat> scared about, it says Andy's game for Doug, so you, you have something. Doug on, doesn't on. know what this is. I want to beta test a BNNY game. Hopefully you all watch BNNY. We play silly games sometimes. This is something that occurred to me uh, to pitch. So instead of pitching it in the office, I'm just going for it live on our Do podcast. It. Doug doesn't know what this is. Okay. This game is called – I'm going to give you the name of the game, and I'm going to give you uh, the rules, and then we're going to play. Yeah. This game is called Wilmer Defoe. Or Willem Dafoe. So here's how it works. <laughs> I'm going to read uh, about a... Go ahead. We had laughed the other night about... That's the backstory. You hear uh, Defoe's name mm -hmm. sometimes quickly, and you picture the Wilmer actor. Defoe. Willem Dafoe. So I'm yeah. going to read you a fact about a person, and you have to tell me if I'm describing the Washington Nationals infielder, Wilmer Defoe, or the acclaimed actor, Willem Dafoe. Uh, very important that you uh, allow me to finish every question before. Don't just jump on it. Right. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. You up for this? He signed with the Washington Nationals as an international free agent on June 3rd, 2010. Is it Willem Dafoe or Wilmer Defoe? I, as far as I know, only one of these guys has ever signed with the Washington Nationals. So you're guessing? Wilmer Defoe. You got it right. Thanks. Okay. Okay, yeah, make, Check. A, note, make a note. <clears throat> in 2017, after Trey Turner suffered a broken wrist, he took over as the national starting shortstop. Is it Willem Dafoe or Wilmer Defoe? Wilmer Defoe. Excellent. Two for two. Okay, here's where it gets harder. He was nominated for an Academy Award in 1986 for his role in Oliver Stone's Vietnam time I mean, War exactly. film, Platoon. <laughs> It, do you need me to repeat the question? No. Is it Willem Dafoe or Wilmer Defoe? Willem Dafoe. Three for three. I realize this is a one-joke game, so we're going to wrap this up soon. Uh, but we're heading into the final stretch. Uh, okay. He started at third base for the Washington Nationals at City Field last night. Is I, it Willem Dafoe or Wilmer Defoe? I did not see Willem Dafoe on the field last night. I'm going with Wilmer Defoe. Four for four. Okay. This is the last question. I'm waiting for a, maybe a... Is there anything they have in common that you would have pulled out of the hat for the number for number five? I'm, I'm since we're beta testing and this is casual. I'm going to tell you, this number five is the trickiest. Trickiest. There's the most overlap on this yeah. one. He portrayed Jesus in the highly controversial Martin Scorsese film, Last Temptation of Christ. Is it Willem? <laughs> is it Will, Willem Dafoe or Wilmer Dafoe? Willem Dafoe. Doug, you were five for five. Wow. Great work. Do you think that, do you think they're gonna let me take this Emmy one to television? Commission. Is there is there somebody from the Emmys that just walks these halls that might be? Do we even get an Emmy for a podcast? Will Dave Mandel and Gerard Guilfoyle let me do this on television? Did you? Uh, yes. Okay. I actually think they they would want it shorter. They'd want it one question and then move on. What time I, is so valuable? True. And I think five was too much. That's why I was beta testing. Although we were laughing at the end still. I was uh, let us know on Twitter, folks. Do you like the game? For Willem Dafoe or Wilmer Every Depot? single one of those made me laugh. <laughs> um, okay, my Saturday night before we go. I'll start because I just wanted to get it out of the way. Since the inception of this podcast, I have been very humbled that I, I don't get out much and <laughs> that I don't do anything that's Become worth Become clear. 
worth anybody's time. I, I, I went home this weekend and I had dinner with my family again on Saturday night. Is that two of our four was dinner with the family on Saturday night? I so had, it was my sister's 30th birthday. Happy birthday, Doug's So sister. there was a reason for me to go out there. But in the future, don't be shocked if I have dinner with my family and there's not necessarily a reason for it. I well, just, uh, you know. he's a nice guy. He's not cool. We're developing nice, some not themes cool. here. Nice, so what I did, uh, okay, okay, I went to uh, an opening at a gallery on Riverside Drive uptown in Washington Heights. A very good friend of mine from college who's a painter was showing his paintings. So that was cool. Artsy and friends, that's a good thing. Artsy friends, that's something. And then, wait, my kid and I did something. Um, uh, oh, we went to a movie night in my town. We have these friends who have a big screen in their backyard, like a big projector movie screen in their backyard, and they watched The Incredibles while the adults had some uh, you know, glasses of wine and whatnot. The Incredibles is an incredible movie. And there's a sequel coming out, isn't the there? The Incredibles 2, they're calling it. <laughs> Creative. <laughs> Almost as creative as Wilmer Depot. I think I win Saturday again. What do you think? I th you crushed me on Saturday. <laughs> it's a low bar. That, I mean, that's a very neighborhoody thing of you to do. Uh, just a friend's backyard with a... By the way, it was freezing by that time on Saturday. Well, it's funny because that's right. That was the day. It was like 80 degrees and I bought Crazy burgers and stuff shift. for my grill. And I started grilling. I grilled in between these two uh, events. I started grilling... And like t-shirt and shorts, and by the time I was done, like by then the burgers were cooked. I was like my teeth were chattering. So we bundled up for the movie. I was so I had so little going on this weekend. Actually, I came down on Saturday morning and I announced to the whole family. I was like, it will be 40 degrees by the time <laughs> dinner is over tonight. I made everyone aware of you were right the future forecasting. So anyway, I, I need to I need to get out more. Um, in the suburban uh, Williams compound or the city. Uh, I don't refer to it as a compound necessarily. <laughs> um, you know, this isn't the Godfather, but this was suburban. Okay. Um, we're back next week, hopefully, folks. Uh, don't you forget. Never know. This show's available as part of SNY.TV's Mets podcast feed. Search for SNY Mets in the iPhone podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast, as I usually say. It's frankly not our business. Definitely, though, subscribe to the feed if you haven't already. Rate us, drop us a review. Be like, hey, these guys, uh, they can talk. Um, we can. Andy, for Andy Martino, I'm Doug Williams for Wilmer Defoe and Willem Defoe as well. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for helping us with this show. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.